0: Chapter Fourteen of Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Easton Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands by James T. Nichols. CHAPTER Fourteen THE COUNTRY WHERE THE WAR STARTED. Serbia. It was a Servian lad who started the war, or rather the fire was all ready to start, and he lit the match. Whether he was hired to do this or not, as has been reported, may never be known as he died before the investigation had been completed. Nevertheless, this deed aroused the interest of the world in a country that was almost unknown before the war. Serbia is not quite as large as the state of Indiana. The population is about double that of Indiana, and the climate about the same as this state. The northern boundary is, or was, at the outbreak of the war, the Danube River, on the east Bulgaria, on the south Greece, while on the west were Albania, Montenegro, and Austria. She was shut away from any seaports all the years, and most of the time surrounded by enemies, the greatest of these being Austria on the west and Turkey to the east. In natural resources, Serbia is one of the richest countries in Europe, being productive of soil, good climate, well watered, and having large mineral wealth. The Moravia River runs across the Great Plain in Middle Serbia, and is to the country much the same as the Nile is to Egypt. Corn is cultivated everywhere in the country, and is perhaps the greatest crop, while wheat also is largely raised. While various fruits are widely grown, the plum orchards are the most numerous. Grapes also are grown extensively. Gold, silver, copper, iron, and coal are found in many parts of the country. It is interesting to know that a Belgian company has perhaps the largest anthracite coal mine in Serbia. Also, there are three and one-half million acres of forests in this small country. The Servians are a race of peasant farmers, eighty percent of people being tillers of the soil. Most of the farms, however, are very small. The average farm is less than twenty acres. Serbia perhaps leads the world in homeowners according to population. Nine-tenths of the farmers own their farms. This is largely due to laws and old customs. The law allows a man a minimum farm of five acres, with a team of oxen and farming implements, and no one can take these from him for debt, no matter how just may be his claim. Another law requires every one to contribute a certain quantity of corn or wheat each year to a municipal institution, to be lent in time of need, or for seed to any one, and at a very moderate rate of interest. Another old custom among the Servians is for the entire community to go and help any man, who may be unfortunate, harvest his grain. This is made a great day, and singing and laughing can be heard all day long in the fields, and in the evening they have certain religious ceremonies which end in a feast with music and dancing. These are great events for the young folks. It is a custom among the girls, for those who are open for engagement, to wear a red feather in their hair. Of late years, the farmers have an organization that is not unlike the Grange that we used to have in this country. Through this they get better markets for what they have to sell, and lower prices for what they have to buy. Many who read these lines can call to mind some of the great times that people used to have in the meetings, and great days in Granger times. The Servians have some queer customs in regard to death and funerals. Almost every Servian prepares boards with which to make his own coffin, and keeps them in a dry place, ready for use when he dies. Old women save up money and sew it in their dresses, to be used to pay their funeral expenses. If a farmer is able to afford it, he generally keeps a barrel of whiskey in his cellar, To BE DRUNK AT HIS FUNERAL. WHEN THE BODY OF A DEAD PERSON IS IN THE HOUSE, NO ONE EATS ANYTHING, AND THE FLOORS ARE NOT SWEPT. AFTER THE FUNERAL, THE FLOORS ARE SWEPT, AND THE BROOM THROWN AWAY. FOR A DAY AFTER ONE DIES, A LITTLE BREAD AND A GLASS OF WINE ARE KEPT IN THE ROOM WITH THE DEAD BODY. THEY BELIEVE THE SOUL TARRIES A WHILE, AND MIGHT WANT TO EAT AND DRINK. They also believe that the soul lingers on earth forty days after death, visiting old familiar places, and on the fortieth day ascends to heaven. On the day of a funeral an animal, likely a sheep, but never a goat, is killed at the grave in the presence of one holding a wax candle. This animal is then roasted, and those attending the funeral have a feast. THE GUESTS EACH BRINGING SOMETHING TO EAT WITH THE ROAST. WOMEN NEVER SING OR WEAR FLOWERS OR JEWELRY DURING THE FIRST YEAR OF MOURNING. EUROPEAN CIVILIZATION owes MUCH TO THE SERVIANS. FOR HUNDREDS OF YEARS THESE PEOPLE HAVE FOUGHT TO SAVE EUROPE FROM INVASION. THEY HAVE BEEN THE BULWARK OF CHRISTENDOM AGAINST THE UNSPEAKABLE TURK AND HIS RELIGION. The bitter trials and hardships of the Servians have made them brave, heroic, and self-sacrificing. This is especially true of the women, as the following incident among many will show. After all the hardships of the Balkan War, when diseases and suffering were everywhere, when the land had been left uncultivated and hunger stalked across the country, and the women in both town and country had toiled unceasingly. After all these days of misery, when Austria was mentioned to a peasant woman, she declared that she was ready for fresh sacrifices. Being reminded of what it would mean to have war again, she said, What matters the leaves and twigs that fall, provided the tree remains standing? There has been a very bitter feeling in Serbia against the Austrians since 1908. In that year Austria had trampled underfoot her sacred treaties, and by brute force annexed Bosnia and Herzegovina, Serbia's neighbors, and had threatened the very existence of Serbia herself. In the streets of Belgrade, their capital city, on that occasion There was a vast demonstration held almost in silence, and every Servian pledged to do or die at his country's call. They well knew that a conflict was coming. In that war they had done a noble part, but when it came to the settlement, Austria practically refused to allow Serbia an Adriatic port and other advantages she had justly earned. From that day until the World War broke out, Austria-backed and assisted by German secret agents tried to stir up Albania and Bulgaria against Serbia. Turkey, too, was only waiting for a chance to plunder this country. But worst of all, and greatest of all, Serbia had the audacity to block the Kaiser's Berlin to Baghdad railway scheme, which was to go through Belgrade. Now the time had arrived when something must be done to provoke a war with Serbia and annihilate her. The self-appointed world ruler of Germany had decreed it. As he was dictating the policy of Austria, she must find some excuse to do the job. Then came the fateful day, July 29, 1914. On that day the crown prince of Austria and his wife were assassinated at Sarajevo by a Serbian youth. Not a thing was done openly for twenty-four days. At once, on the assassination of the Austrian crown prince, the kaiser called in his warlords and financiers and other great men of his coterie. He asked if all were ready for war. The army and navy men said they were ready instantly. The financiers said they could be ready in two weeks. They were told to get ready. While this was being done, the Kaiser with the Austrian warlords worked out a plan by which the act of this Servian youth could be laid upon the nation and be made an excuse for war. So, on the twenty-fourth day after the assassination, came the ultimatum from austria it came as a thunderclap out of a clear sky the little country was only allowed forty-eight hours to concede the unheard-of demands diplomats tried to get austria to extend the time but she refused to do so sir edward gray of england led in an effort to bring about arbitration after austria had declared war and he all but succeeded, for Austria and Serbia both agreed to submit their differences to arbitration, and Russia agreed to this. But just here Germany openly butted in and declared that she would not arbitrate anything, and thus the war went on until it had involved nation after nation, and practically the whole world was into it, either directly or indirectly. When the declaration of war came to Serbia, their old king was in bad health and was at a sanitarium. He had appointed his son to the regency, but at the word of war old king Peter left the watering-place and started for the front. With flag in hand he came to the troops and addressed the men, saying, "'Soldiers, your old king has come to die with you. If there be any who are afraid, let him turn back. End quote. It is easy to imagine the result; not one of them turned back, and they easily routed the enemy and swept all before them. But the story of these terrible years can only be mentioned. The year nineteen fourteen was a year of victory for the Servians, but later on came the tremendous reverses the awful typhus fever, and the heroic retreat over the mountains. This retreat is one of the saddest and yet one of the most heroic pages of history. Finally France was able to come to the rescue, and the Servians found a refuge on the island of Corfu. Had it not been for France, the Servian nation would have been all but annihilated. While Serbia has never made a contribution to civilization, as has Belgium. She has played such a noble part that she will always have a large place in the heart of mankind. She has kept the Turk from invading Europe for centuries, and it is hard to realize just what that means. The Turk has always been a plunderer and has cursed everything he touched. But his cup of iniquity has been filled to overflowing, and the death rattle is in his throat. Providence has thus used Serbia in a most wonderful way. Her great vision has been a united country, with all the Serbians included, where they can work out their own problems and live in peace and harmony. These people are devoutly religious, most of them belonging to the Greek Orthodox Church. They have great respect for learning. They are a most hospitable people, and any foreigner is always made a welcome guest. They are well read in history, but have never been favorably inclined toward either German education or language. They admire and love the French and invited the French government to open a school in Belgrade. They have their own literature and folklore, their own popular music and national songs. The following are some of their bright proverbs OF WHICH THEY HAVE A GREAT MANY. IT IS BETTER TO SERVE A GOOD MAN THAN TO GIVE ORDERS TO A BAD MAN. IT IS BETTER TO SUFFER INJUSTICE THAN TO COMMIT IT. IT IS BETTER TO DIE HONESTLY THAN TO LIVE DISHONESTLY. IT IS BETTER TO HAVE A GOOD REPUTATION THAN A GOLDEN BELT. As long as a man does not dishonor himself, no one can dishonor him. Debt is a bad companion. He who wishes to rest when he is old must work when he is young. The lie has short legs. An earnest work is never lost. The unjustly acquired wealth never reaches the third generation. A kind word opens the iron door. God sometimes shuts one door that he may open a hundred other doors. It is better to weep with the wise than to sing with the fool. In the forest a tree leans upon tree. In a nation a man leans on man. Where there is no fear of God, there is no shame of man. Where there is no wife, there is no home. Where the devil cannot cause mischief, he sends an old woman, and she does it. Work as if you were to live a hundred years. Pray to God as if you were to die tomorrow. End of chapter fourteen. Recording by Eva Easton, Sloansburg, New York. July 2011